You're listening to the Muslims Down Under podcast. In this podcast, we reflect on topics related to Islam and Muslims, those that are often ignored or misinterpreted. Open your mind to understand what unites us and become mates with Muslims. Experience discrimination, and contemporary and relevant topics. Welcome back to another episode of the Muslims Down Under podcast. It's great to have you here with us on uh, this episode. As you, of course, know that uh, all the previous episodes that we have released so far within this podcast series have all related to, um, you know, a vast range of contemporary and relevant topics that are, of course, all related to Islam and Muslims. And We've been having these conversations um, around these topics all because we have this aim to create open lines of communication so that, you know, we can all better uh, educate ourselves, so that we can learn from one another, so that we can have these discussions that I think often uh, people shy away from. And that could be because, you know, for a number of reasons, whether it's because you feel like you might offend somebody or you feel like you don't have the knowledge. Um what we kind of want to do is move past that, move away from that and work towards having, you know, these conversations. And, you know, you've heard this in every episode, you know, since the first one that we want these episodes to ignite discussion. So that's, you know, enough about this uh, podcast series. But on today's episode, we're very lucky to be joined by Saba, who lives in uh, Melbourne, Victoria, and she'll be joining us today uh, to co-host uh, on this episode. So thank you, Saba. Peace be upon you. And I hope you're well. Hello, peace be upon you all. I do really look forward to the topic of discussion today. Given, you know, we both have grown up in this Western society and we both made the decision to wear a scarf later on in our lives. And obviously wearing a scarf is one of the most external ways or the most symbolic ways that you can represent who you are as a Muslim woman. A Muslim woman. And this conversation around Muslim women in Islam is one that we actually have often. And I think it's an important topic of conversation that we have today because for some reason when we talk about Muslim women, it's always followed by the notion that Muslim women are oppressed or they're somehow unequal to men or they're inferior to men. And I feel, and I think you're going to have the same thought here, is that this is a really common thought and it's something that I think we have an obligation to address because this isn't actually the case when it comes to Muslim women. I really agree with that statement. I mean, this has to be one of the biggest phenomena of this century. You know, born and raised in Australia, wearing a scarf has been a progression for me. And although I've mostly had a very positive experience. Just recently, a report was published by the Charles Sturt University, and they found that Muslim women who wore a scarf, who wore a headscarf, were at uh, most at risk of Islamophobic abuse in Australia. And in response to this, I have had people ask whether these statistics are true and whether I've ever experienced such incidents. And com- uh, common questions that come along with wearing a headscarf are ones that I'm almost certain that every woman who wears a scarf has been asked before. And firstly, you know, why do you even wear the scarf? And then you get the usual, aren't you hot? And then the misguided questions, isn't it oppressive? You know, doesn't it limit what you can do in life? And from this, we can see that there is an ever apparent issue today. And as we were mentioning before, it's because of the lack of understanding and the misconceptions that arise around this topic. And 
And and so, you know, we do need to address these concerns that everyday people in Australia have. And we're asking, you know, are they valid? And I think that the questions that they have are most definitely valid and important for us to discuss. But the concerns that they have are not. Yeah. And this common misconception that Muslim women have no rights or are subjugated is really far from the truth. I think before we actually jump into discussing the rights that Islam has empowered women with and the fact that the idea that people have about women in Islam, I think it's really important we actually define the concept of equality. So what does being equal mean? And why do women in this present day society feel that they actually have to compete with men in order to be considered equal? Okay, so that's a good point that you make. Gender equality, first and foremost, is a basic human right. And that's something that we all need to understand and we need to understand well. You know, in essence, it's the foundation really to this entire phenomenon. And in terms of gender equality, are we talking about absolute equality? If we are, then we need to be clear that uh, that many perhaps all, in fact, atheists, secularists, and feminists don't actually propose absolute equality of genders, as they concede that the two genders need to be treated differently in at least some life activities. And if we take sports for, for as an example, if absolute equality was a goal in sport, we would be having tournaments with men and women playing together or against each other. And we know that this isn't the case. And in fact, there are tests often done to ensure that there is no inequality by having a man pretending to be a woman playing in a given sport. And so here, equality would be defined as women playing against women in order to have a, a level playing field. Now, had equality been absolute, the need for such tests would not even exist. And the pure existence of the, of these tests show us um, that we agree that nature has given men and women different tendencies, aptitudes, different strengths and different personalities. And if we take a look at a more specific example, again, within the realm of sports, this is physical strength. And I think it would be wrong to say that all women, uh, sorry, all men are stronger than women, uh, than women. But it would be correct to say that men in general are stronger than women, given that the term strength here we're referring to is physiological muscular strength and not other kinds of strength like dealing with trauma, surviving illness, where women in fact are stronger. And hence, if men entered into sports competitions against women, they would have an an unfair advantage. Okay, so I think from all of this, what we can understand is that the issue isn't actually then one of gender equality in the absolute sense. Instead, it's an issue of gender equality in the best sense. Okay, so what does this mean exactly? I think it starts by acknowledging that each gender does in fact have its own strengths and weaknesses, and these may or may not overlap. Now, in certain respects, one gender may have an advantage over the other, but then in other respects, we have to acknowledge that the other gender has the advantage. I was recently just doing some reading on this to try and better understand this concept myself, and I came across something that a psychiatrist, Dr. Neil Burton, had written, and basically this is how he put it. He said that biological advantages and disadvantages 
are more or less equally distributed between the sexes. Yet in spite of these differences, God has actually declared in the Holy Quran that, but whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, shall enter heaven and shall not be wronged even as much as the little hollow in the back of a date stone. And I think to understand this, what it means is that as far as one's spirituality and relationship with God is concerned, there is indeed absolute equality between the genders. Okay, so what we can take away from this is that Islam has actually recognized this concept of equality. Yeah, exactly. Islam recognizes and emphasizes that while men and women have these physical differences, which whether you abide by religion or you don't, that I think is irrefutable. But in Islam, men and women enjoy absolute spiritual equality from God. Islam is a balanced religion. Whilst Islam clearly establishes that men and women are equal, it does recognize that they're not identical. And I think those that, that's the difference that we need to understand. God has created men and women with unique physiological and psychological attributes. So if we put that in simpler terms, uh, in Islam, these differences are embraced as vital components to a healthy family and to healthy community structures, as each individual is contributing their own distinctive talents to society. And now if we open up the Quran, nowhere in it does it state that one gender is superior to the other. And this is a very important statement that society often seems to forget about. I completely agree with you. The Holy Quran makes it clear that the sole basis for superior superiority over any person isn't about their talents or their color. It's just piety and righteousness, not gender, not color, not nationality. The only basis for superiority is piety and righteousness. In the Holy Quran, it actually says, O mankind, we created you from a single pair of a male and a female and made you into nations and tribes so that you may know each other. Verily, the most honoured of you in the sight of Allah is the one who is the most righteous of you. Take a moment to just think about that verse. We acknowledge that the rights, roles and responsibilities of women are evenly balanced with those of men, but they are not necessarily the same. As Islam has granted individual identities to men and women, a constant comparison between the two is absolutely futile. Each plays a unique role. This is a balanced role, and their role is played in a manner to mutually uphold social morality and societal balance. To further emphasise what you've just mentioned there, we know that women play essential roles in the formation of society and the many roles which a, which a woman plays throughout her life in her capacity as a daughter, a wife, a mother and a friend must take into account the fact that far from being the passive, oppressive, uh, oppressed victim of this popular stereotype, women, and for that matter, the, the Muslim woman, it seemed to be a whole person with a valid contribution to make at every level. And Islam ensures this, that a woman has choice to live a life of her own, that she's not deficient from a man in any way. And in God's eyes, he has provided equality between men and women, and, and both are accountable for their own deeds and their own actions. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think one of the most beautiful teachings about Islam 
is that it highlights that a woman is so much more than just how she looks. It's that a woman's personality, her character, is more important. And in the current society in which we live in, you'd think that these things would carry so much more weight. Now, if a woman is being judged by her personality and her character, this is far from this stereotypical notion that modesty equals oppression. In today's society, women still fail to achieve many rights in their goal to attain this gender equality. We see protests, we hear it on the news almost every day. But Islam, almost 1,500 years ago, established many rights for women. And some of these rights aren't even granted today to women. Whether it's attaining an education, whether it's having a say in life decisions like marriage or finance, Islam has ensured that rights in all aspects are granted equitably. Okay, so at this point in the conversation, I think it's important to realize the concept of value. Um, And what is the meaning of having true value? And are Muslim women really valued? Well, do you think it's right to say that because of human weakness, overpowering common sense, even in the liberated world, women are still struggling to understand their value? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is being able to do what a man does in fact resulting in liberation, is that the establishment of a women's value in society? I wholeheartedly disagree and I absolutely question why women compare themselves to men and consider what men can do as a pedestal to which they want to work towards. I mean, if there is anything or anyone who is worth embodying, then it is God and God alone. And to put this more simply, God has honoured both men and women by giving them value in relation to himself and not to one another. And so a woman's value is not determined by how similar she is to man, rather how similar she is to God himself. And he has not discriminated in this regard. We have all been endowed with distinctive qualities and nature which God has specifically created by himself. And now the problem that we see with today's society is that God is being rapidly taken out of the picture and therefore women are being left with only one standard to compare themselves to and that is of men. And we're being compelled to find value in relation to men. If a man is able to work to earn money for the family, then so should a woman. If a man is able to spend the entire day outside, then so so should a woman. Why? Because that is the only standard which has been set by society, that standard of man. Now, I'm not saying that women should be stopped from wanting to earn money or work or get an education. Islam does not say this either, but women should be raising their standards. We need to be raising our standards. We need to be compelled to achieve our own worth. In essence, through this failure of our own and wanting to strive to be like a man and to reach this standard of a man, we do ourselves a disservice because we fail to realize that God has dignified us according to our distinctiveness, not our sameness to men. In this name of progress, women are being shown a false picture of liberation and freedom, and it's forcing them into this corner that a woman can never become a full human being if she's not like a man. I think what's really important to understand is that if a man works to earn a living, that doesn't make him spiritually superior to us in any way. Why do we jump to this conclusion that he's working for a living? I want to do this. This makes him superior. There's just, it doesn't add up. Just because a man does it, it doesn't make it better. I think if we wish to understand our true value, to attain this liberation that God has intended, then we must understand that he has honoured us 
by revealing commandments which are particular to the unique attributes that God has granted us. Just a little further uh, on that, according to the Holy Prophet Islam, heaven lies at the feet of a mother. And this is something which is completely out of reach for a man and impossible for him to imitate, right? Yet this is not deemed to be unfair. And again, the Holy Prophet has emphasized three times to a companion the supremacy of a mother over a father. Yet this is not deemed to be gender discrimination. God Almighty has honored us based on our nature as females in relation to him. But despite these incredible statements, many of us are too busy finding our own self-worth in the standards which have been set by society, a standard which has been set by men. I think I think this comes down to the ultimate notion that a modern woman may have these so-called rights that she's fighting for, but she's mentally enslaved to worship men and to imitate men. But as Muslims, and what Islam has done in, in terms of providing guidelines, is that we have been freed from this mental enslavement and the worship of anything else but God. Yes, absolutely. And I'm questioning, I mean, as women, have we become oblivious to this uh, enslavement? As it's seen as normal, it's the norm, that's just the way it is. However, if we look at His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Musru Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, who is the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah of this age, he actually states about this that any rights granted to women in recent times have been the result of necessity rather than any deep desire for progress and also as a means for men to fulfill their own selfish desires. What I think is incumbent upon us to remember is that Islam is a way of life. It holds the guidelines to living a life of purpose and of most importance, attaining closeness to God. And this is what you were touching on before. And I think this really sums up the topic that we've been discussing in today's conversation, that whatever we do, we keep God at the forefront of our minds. Wow, okay, that has been a jam-packed episode, but we hope that there's been something in today's discussion that you've taken away. Maybe a question you had has been clarified, or you've learned something new, and we would love for you to pay it forward and educate friends and family with this newfound knowledge. I hope that we have been able to shed some light on what can be a difficult topic to address, but that's what we're here for. We would love for all of our listeners to join us on our social media channels, on our website, uh, on our Telegram channel, um, because we do regularly update uh, our followers over there regarding, you know, what's happening on the website, any new editorials or articles or things that we've uploaded. Um, if you would like to join us on a social media platform, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube at Muslims DWN Under. And you can also sign up on our website, uh, which is www.muslimsdownunder.com. So, of course, uh, over there you can ask any questions that you might have, any suggestions you might have for future episodes. Um, Hop onto any of those channels um, and definitely let us know. Until then, peace be upon you all. And we hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Muslims Down Under podcast.